I want us to get into a somewhat short series of lessons talking about how we can come to understand how God wants us to deal with our decisions in life. As Christians, we continually have to make choices. And I've entitled this particular series, A Guide to Help Decide. We need to always strive to be where God wants us to be, but we need to have understanding as to how to get there. So we continually have to make decisions as to behavior and conduct on an ongoing basis. Every day, we're making those kinds of decisions. Sometimes they're, they're more pressing decisions or maybe they're bigger decisions, uh, but we always have to make them every day. So we wonder, should I go to this place as a Christian? Should I be in this particular crowd? Should I take place in this kind of activity? Should I be spending time with these folks? Should I be watching this on television? Should I be listening to this on the radio or in some music you know, uh, download? Should I use this kind of language? Should I listen to this kind of language passively? Over and over, we're making these kinds of decisions. So how do we know how to make the right decisions? How do we know? It, where can we go? What, what kind of basic fundamentals can we fall on, fall back on to say, okay, now that, that'll guide me. That makes sense now. I can understand by just trying to apply these principles. Most actions that we have to, that we are confronted with on a specific basis are not laid out in scripture, but rather they are covered by general classifications of practices and lifestyle. And that's what I want us to focus on. Recognize that we can look at things on the basis of these general classifications and then we can make decisions based on that. So we strive to make appropriate applications by, with, from these principles that God has laid out for us in the scriptures that should guide us to be able to effectively make decisions on specific situations. Again, things like, should I go to this place? Should I be in that crowd? Should I take place of that activity? Should I be watching this on TV? Should I be listening to these kinds of songs or this kind of music? Uh, and, and those kinds of actions, decisions go on and on and on. So some decisions, they're simply matters of judgment, we would say. But then maybe our mind or our conscience works on us and we say, but, but are they really just matters of judgment? So principles God has laid out for us. Now, feelings are not, they're not always reliable. Some people will say, and we talked about this uh, last Sunday morning when I was filling in for Mark, well, you know, some people say, well, just follow your heart. Or, or what do you, how does it feel? What do you feel like? Well, feelings can be deceptive based upon how we've trained our conscience, and Mark's talking about conscience in our Sunday morning class, how we've trained our conscience to react or to condition us. So how do we decide? How do we come to these decisions? Again, feelings are not always reliable. In fact, maybe most of the time feelings are not reliable in and of themselves. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, Jesus said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Now, out of the heart also obviously proceeds some positive things as well. Love, 
kindness, compassion, patience, but also if we allow the devil to work on our heart and condition our conscience, then we're talking about evil things. And Jesus lays some out there, such as the, thought, uh, the murders and adulteries and fornications and so on. So we have to be careful. I believe God has given us some general principles in scripture that can help us in making decisions that may not be specifically addressed in scripture. I hope you get that. Again, I believe God has given us some general principles to guide us in making decisions on specific situations the specific situations which may not be necessarily spelled out in scripture, but the principles apply. So I want us to look at this kind of step by step. How can we decide? God has given us this guide to help us decide. So first, the first principle that I want us to think about, can I do this in the name of the Lord? He might say, wait, wait, what do you mean can I do this in the name of the Lord? I don't think about everything, every decision I make, you know, as doing it in the name of the Lord. Uh, sometimes I'm doing it in, in the name of my job or, or my family uh, or my friendship. Well, the overriding broader principle is, can I do this in the name of the Lord? And here's, here's a basic scripture reference that helps us come to that understanding. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now notice what Paul said there. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, how do I come to kind of process that in my mind? I'm wondering, should I go to this party? I'm wondering, should I hang with this crowd? I'm wondering, should I, should I really try to strike up a friendship and develop a friendship with this particular individual? Can I do it in the name of the Lord? What's the application there? What's the understanding? See, you become a Christian by being baptized into Christ. Romans 6 and verse 3 do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then also the further classification there, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So here, here's what I want us to understand and what, what we should think of when we're thinking about how do I put into practice? How do I apply on a consistent basis that everything I do, I do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him? Well, when we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ, literally coming into Christ. Now, not physically, obviously, but from a spiritual perspective, we're baptized into Christ. Our life changes. It's Baptism is like a crossing over point, or we could think of it as a threshold from one reality to another. Outside of Christ, before I'm baptized into Christ, I'm lost in sin. As I come up out of the waters of baptism, I've been forgiven of my sins, and I'm saved in Christ. Before I was baptized, I was outside of Christ. 
but because when I'm baptized, I come into Christ, now I'm in Christ. And so basic, basic understandings of transition and transformation. So in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, Paul goes a little bit further, maybe a little bit deeper, when he says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And the sense of the language there and the understanding is, it's the idea of putting Christ on in our lives as I put this shirt on before I came here this evening. I wrapped it around me. I buttoned it up. It became part of my attire. And when we're baptized into Christ, we're wrapping our lives up in him. He becomes part of us and we part of him. We're baptized into Christ. We put him on in baptism. So we're in Christ. And those are the only two verses in the entire New Testament that have the phrase into Christ preceded by the means of coming into Christ. And in both cases, it says we're baptized into Christ. But what a great teaching that we can be in Christ. God has made the way for us to be in Christ and no longer lost in sin. Well, in being baptized into Christ, you were born again spiritually. In John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we're not born again from a physical perspective, and Nicodemus had a difficult time initially understanding how, what Jesus meant by being born again. He even said, can a man, when he's old, re-enter his mother's womb? He's thinking physical. Jesus was speaking spiritual. And Jesus said, no, no, no you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again from a spiritual perspective. In Christ, I have been made new. And as you've been baptized into Christ, you've been made new from a spiritual perspective. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A new creation physically? No, I baptized a whole lot of folks. I was baptized myself. I came up out of that water. Physically, I looked the same as I did before I went down into that water. And I've not seen a single person I've baptized over the years, if they, were, if they had blonde hair when I, I, I put them under the water, they came up, they didn't have dark hair. They had blonde hair. Still, physically, we look the same. But spiritually, we have been transformed. We have been made new. And, and it's really interesting that Paul puts it there as a new creation from a spiritual perspective. So a little bit further, Upon becoming a Christian, God adopted you and me into his family. In Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 14, we read this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. If you did not receive the spirit of bondage again, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I've said many times, if you just listen to people who are 
not as developed in their Bible knowledge as they need to be on this particular matter. It's, it's common for people to say, we're all God's children, all of us, all of humanity. The atheists? Well, yeah, we're all God's children. Okay, if you're speaking only from the perspective that humanity was created by God in that extremely loose sense, then you could maybe understand that all of humanity is God's children. But in the sense that Paul is trying to get across here, that's very unique. And that's not all of humanity. This is, he's talking about people who have been led by the Spirit of God. Now, we're not talking about some kind of supernatural leading. He's talking about those who have gotten into God's word and come to understand how I can be forgiven, how I can be born again, how I can be made new spiritually, how I can come into Christ. And that's when I repent of my sins. I confess my faith in Christ openly as God's son and my Lord and Savior. And I'm immersed in the waters of baptism. So the blood that Jesus sheds in the cross cleanses me of the guilt of my sins and I'm born again. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. I'm in Christ. And I'm looking forward to eternal life with him in heaven. That's the sense in which Paul is writing here when he says we are children of God and he has adopted us. Notice again what it says there that he has adopted us into his family. We also look in Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that is the Old Testament law of Moses, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You don't adopt your own children. So we need to understand the very unique and special sense in which Paul is identifying those who have been baptized into Christ as children of God. Because God adopted us as his children into his family as we became Christians. So we're baptized into Christ. Notice also in this particular text of scripture that, that it, it says that, that we had, it, he sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you're sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. So as I said before, we come into Christ and Christ comes into us. You look at John chapter 14 and verses 15 and 21 and 23. It talks about how as we become obedient to, to our Lord and Savior, as we become Christians, as we're baptized into him, then he and the Father makes their home with us. Now, don't get all caught up in how exactly that happens. It, we're talking about a spiritual matter. So we come into Christ Christ comes into our hearts, we walk with him, but how? According to his teachings. As Christians, we actually wear the name of Christ. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, when he had found him, that is Barnabas, looking for Saul of Tarsus at that time to become the apostle Paul, 
When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Peter also used that term in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Christian. My understanding, more literally, the understanding of that word when you break it down means Christ one. But we wear his name, Christian. Now when this was first, this, this term was first used, some think that it was used as a term of derision, of insult, of challenge. You're one of those Christ ones. You're one of those Christians. Yes. That is exactly who we are. And it's not a term of derision. It's a term of honor and identity in a very special way. Christian, Christian. So we're baptized into Christ. We come into him. Christ comes into our heart. God adopts us into his family. And we wear the name of Christ. Christian. The Lord, when we're baptized into him, adds us to his body, the church. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, and this is a text that the greatest part of it in Acts chapter 2 is covering what happened on Pentecost. Peter and the apostles began teaching a whole multitude of Jewish men gathered there for that particular feast day under the law of Moses. And they began teaching the gospel of Christ. About 3,000 souls were baptized into Christ that day. And when we come down toward the end of that chapter, we see kind of the early development of the church and how they gathered together regularly to partake of the Lord's Supper. And then verse 47 says, and praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. He added them to the church. We don't get voted in or voted out of the church. The Lord adds us or doesn't add us himself because it's his body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, the apostle Paul went through a rather lengthy lengthy context of scripture there, really kind of specifying what it is to be a Christian. And central to that is we're part of Christ. We're part of his body. And that body is the church. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. And then verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The church is the body of Christ. And each one of us as individual Christians are members of that body, the body of Christ. So think about the personal identity that that that, that we've been blessed with by virtue of our being baptized into Christ and God adopting us as his children and our wearing the name of Christ, Christian, that we also 
are members of his body, which is his church. Very personal identity by virtue of our being Christians. And by virtue of being a part of his body, the church, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul says we're actually married to him. For I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy, Paul wrote, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, we're not talking about physical marriage here. We're talking about spiritual marriage. Spiritual marriage to our Savior, Jesus Christ. By virtue of our having been baptized into him, having put him on, wearing his name, being adopted by his father into his family, and being a part of his body, the church. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, and you look at that text, that long context that talks about the relationship between husband and wife, the primary focus of that, of that context of Scripture is not the relationship between husband and wife on a physical level. Paul is using that relationship as an example or an illustration of the basic message that he's trying to, to, trying to get across, and that is our spiritual relationship with Christ. We are his bride as the church. And so when you think of all of these points and you kind of put them all together, we wear the name of Christ wherever we go. We can't take it off. If you were born with the name Jones or Johnson or Hutchins, I can't go anywhere and take that name off. Wherever I go, that's the name I wear from a physical perspective. And I, I can't do anything about that. That's my name. And so I don't want to go anywhere or do anything that would sully or tarnish that name, the quality of my name, Hutchins or Jones or Johnson or whatever your name might be, whatever name you were born with, well, the same thing is true when we become a Christian. We wear that name all day long, every day for the rest of our life. And just as we would not want to sully or tarnish our biological name, our family name, from a biological perspective, we would not, we should not at all ever want to sully or tarnish that even deeper and more personal and more important spiritual name that we wear, Christian, the name of Christ, Christ one. As a Christian, we wear Christ's name everywhere we go and in everything we do. So here we go again. We boil this down. Let's make the application. You would not want to sully your family name. You would not want to be a shame to your family name and through your unrighteous behavior. You should, not, uh, you should be even more careful to not sully or tarnish your spiritual family name. Christian, 
Ephesians 5 and verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly, if you've heard me preach for very long over the last few years, you know what I'm talking about. Careful, thinking, what am I doing? How am I living? This next step in my life that I'm going to take, what is it going to lead me to? And, the, and then what will that lead me to after that and that after that? Walking circumspectly, not just carefully, but super carefully, very focused. What am I doing? And what are going to be the consequences, either positive or negative? So the question is then, when you're facing, being faced with one of those life decisions, and you might think, well, this is just an incidental matter, whether I listen to this in the radio or not, or whether I go watch this in the, in the theater, or whether I let it be on my TV screen, or, or whether I'm with this particular person who's cursing all the time or, and using the Lord's name in vain, or you can give all kinds of examples. You might think it's an incidental matter, not that serious, not that important, but you're wearing the name of Christ in that setting. Can you do this in the name of the Lord? And that is the first principle to guide us, to help us decide what I should be doing. This evening, I know lessons like this, they can kind of stir our conscience at times. If there's a change that you need to make in your life, it may be that that's simply a private change, personal matter just between you and God in some of the way you've been thinking. Take that to God. Repent of your sins, ask his forgiveness in prayer. But if you need to make a bigger change, maybe you say, you know, I haven't thought about these things. I need to honor my Lord in my life all the time. And if you're ready to become a Christian, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith openly in him and surrendering to him in, baptize, uh, in baptism so that the blood he shed on the cross so long ago can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins, we encourage you to take that step. If you need to talk with somebody, if you need to, to, to study together, just ask us. We'll make that happen. If you need our prayers, step forward or talk to us privately. We'll pray with you and for you. Can I do it in the name of the Lord? Can I live the life I'm living right now? properly in the name of the Lord, giving our Lord the honor always. If you need to come, come right now as we stand together and sing.